welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week on Top Lines and Tales, we go to Wales and we go to a cattle breeder and a man who's very much involved in the cattle industry from all sorts of different angles, really. Arwell Owen, Arwell, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Andy. It's a great pleasure to join you this evening. And, and uh, oh, well, you're from Welshpool. For our foreign listeners, that's pretty much bang in the middle of Wales, really. That's home to you. And tell us a little bit more about where you come from. <laughs> I've always resided here in mid Wales. My home was a sheep and beef farm in uh, Llanbermire. And uh, we started there, really. Um, my father and my brother took on the business there afterwards. And uh, so, really, I started here um, I went off up to North Wales really working for Genus in those early days after college and really came back to mid Wales to manage the business here and started farming on my own then after really okay and that's yeah that was uh, I won't ask you how old you are something something I don't do on this program is ask people how old they are because they're always younger than me because but uh, you've um yeah, you got into farming there. We'll go on to what you've done with Genus in a minute, but you do breed Charolais cattle yourself, and uh, and you've been with them. How long have you been with the Charolais cattle? In, uh, yeah, we started in about 97 with the Charolais. started with four cows, really. Um, uh, two cows from Frontin, a cow from Esmer Evans, and an old cow from... Um, David Fatterini in those days and um, come from Brampton she had mm-hmm. and really we flushed we found one or two lines in that flushed away quite successfully um, tried to really focus on on taking bulls then up to Perth and Stirling and, and uh, you know really it was quite a challenge for us taking bulls up as a newcomer into that part of the world. It was quite a challenging environment and really realised pretty early on that I had to breed animals that were closer to what we needed in this part of the world to make the sums add up, really. And uh, so we haven't been up north selling bulls for quite some time now, but really focusing on, on home. And, you know, it's we're... we're we're calving 50-odd cows now and uh, selling 80% of those bulls from home, really. Right, selling them from home, of course, is the best way to do it without having to go through the effort of taking them up to, to those sales and the expense to take them up to those sales as well, as you said, and, and started there with some good, you know, Esmer Evans front, and you just throw those names in as though they're just uh, easy, but, I mean, you're talking top top end of the breed, there's some good, uh, good genetics right from the start. Yeah, yeah. We were... We were trying to get into the Charlies for a few years at that time, and uh, you know, Charlie females at that time were at some dizzy heights, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't have deep enough po- pockets when Ghana Farms and those guys were selling out, and uh, you know, there was a lot of good females going around at that time. Mm. It was just quite a challenge for somebody that didn't have deep enough <laughs> pockets really to go and uh, and invest hard in it. I know you feel know you feel on that one when I went into the Texels right about the same time and that was the same same situation and just going on to the Charolais you 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 you're now on Charolais Council I think you're on the on the National Council for Charolais there are yeah that's you know it's a great honour to represent the breed and and the members really um, this will be my third term on, on council 
I've seen some very interesting times. The first time was with David uh, Benson in the chair, and really I've done two terms now uh, over the last period. So really that transition when David had and uh, and uh, just back on now, and I'm on my final three years of of this uh, uh, this period of there. But you know that I do find that as a, a great honour uh, to be part of that team of, of people there and you know we've uh, like everything we're we're going through some challenging times and some changing times mm-hmm. good how, how many um, Charlie I didn't I probably did ask David Benson this when we had him on the podcast a few uh, a few weeks ago but uh, how many of you there in Wales and representing Wales are you the sort of you the Welsh representative well, or is a few of you no there's two Welsh representatives and uh, there's Three Irish, and there's about 14 of us on, on the council, um, but I'm a national member, so really going into the banner of uh, the national member, in, but when I reside in Wales. Okay, fair enough. I got that clears that one up there. And yeah. you show you show your cattle as well, going back to Wales again. You show your cattle at the Royal Welsh. I saw you showing there this last yeah, year. We try and, yeah. yeah, we try and support the, the Royal Welsh um, just with a few... Uh, taking a couple of bulls out or something like that. Um, we've had this a female champion at the Welsh with um, Trevaldon Fancy Girl, which was subsequently sold at my sale in 2012, but really just had um, a few uh, males out since. We, I try and avoid showing females. I just feel it's a hard challenge to keep them, get them to work hard enough after they've been shown, like really. That's, that's that's a very true statement, and one or two people will concur with that. Of course, with uh, yeah, when you put them through all that condition, and they go on and win a show, and then they don't breed you anything, and uh, yeah, the job's <laughs> job's all about profit, isn't it? Yeah. It <laughs> and, is really. And and, and and you a judge too? I know you judged the, um, in in May this year. I bumped into you. You were judging the the limits in cattle sale in in the. the, the the premier limousine sale, I should say, in the, there in Carlisle in May this year, uh, gave that one a good go, and I think you've judged a fair few other places as well. You, you're quite an honoured judge these days. Yeah, and it was a, a really nice invite to have from the Limousine Society to actually um, ask me to come and judge the May sale, and it was a great honour to do that, like it has been an honour to do Perth, Charlie's in Perth, um, in Stirling, sorry. Um, and, you know, to judge the Highland this year, I've had two very honourable judging experiences, and, you know, it's been a great pleasure to do those, Um, and it's that once-in-a-lifetime that you've actually been asked and and done it and really enjoyed my day and really enjoyed the the challenge of the day and at both at both times at the Highland and at the Carlisle in May you know it was an amazing event and I had some tremendous cattle out in front of me uh, at the Limousin sale and and two bulls came into one class and I couldn't decide which one and they both went on to follow each other for the day it was an amazing I was uh, very pleased to see those animals coming forward and uh, uh, I'm, I'm very warm towards the Limousin's if I hadn't gone into Charlie's, I probably would have gone into Limousin. I'm, I'm still very fond of my Limousin's even today. 
We'll get in, into it again in a minute as to your your day job, should I say. But just going back to that, Judge, and you say once-in-a-lifetime experience, not once-in-a-lifetime to judge either of those shows. People do get a second and third chance at that. But to judge both the, 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 the Premier Limas in Sale in, in Carlisle and then the, the Charolais classes in uh, in the Highland, both in one year, those are two, as you said, uh, yeah. uh, massively um, um, important uh, positions to do them both in one year. It's a, it's a big day and, and tiring, and you, and you live to tell the tale. I did live to tell the tale. I will be honest with you, after the Highland, I was absolutely, well, I was exhausted after the first one, but I'll be honest with you, it, when you give all to, you know, your, your, the job in hand, and I had 18 females come out in one class for the Highland show, and it was just, took some sorting, and, and really you do concentrate, and you try and give your best to the exhibitors, um, because they're, so important and you know if you miss something it on your head be it <laughs> certainly on your on your head be it and you keep the engine running in the car ready to, to make an exit but i don't suppose you, <laughs> don't suppose you did that but yes you, you've got one of the strongest shows of, of charolais in the country at the highland certainly and uh yeah yeah, yeah definitely tremendous females always good to see as you said a class that's a big class too let's go on to what you do for for a living and you work for genus abs as they are now and uh been going genus have been going for now on 70 years, 75 years, I think. Tell us a little bit more about what Genus do before we go on to what you actually do yourself. Yeah, well, you know, Genus deliver genetics to 80-odd countries around the world and deliver dairy genetics and beef genetics for the beef on dairy industry and for the beef on beef industry in those countries like South America and uh, North America would have a very, very strong presence in their beef herds where people would do a lot of breedings in that. And in Europe, it's not as intense on those beef herds as, as it would be there. But basically, I started with a business. It'll be 40 years next year. Oh, wow. um, and I started as an inseminator, worked my way through the, those seven years I did that job for, and then started doing some management. I looked after the business for them in mid Wales and North Wales at that time. And there's a team of about 40 people with us between inseminators and sales guys and things like that. And developed myself through the business and joined what I would say the beef team back approximately 18 years ago. And there was the total sum of about two of us in those days and uh, one marketing person and me going out sourcing the genetics and how the world has changed from that day till today, really, in, in a very, very short period of time. Okay, brilliant. And I, I'd say the a man I'm going to mention was Bob Mortlock, and Bob used to always be at, at, at Perth at the bull sales, going there and, and, and buying bulls and picking them out. Always had plenty to say and ducking and diving and great fella. And I think... Uh, some you might you might have you might have been the new Bob Mortlock, would that be right? <laughs> yes, yeah, Bob had those uh, dizzy days where they always used to buy from markets and uh, you know. But today um we only buy from from farms and actually, you know, that that is a little bit more difficult because you haven't got you're only comparing from within the own your own herd. Sure. But I always say when you walk into somebody's barn and you see that animal that's got a wow factor um across all breeds, you still have those sweaty palms yep. that yep. come along and uh, 
you've got to try and achieve a sale between both parties and uh, both parties have got to be happy. Sure. Sure, that's that's a great statement. You're absolutely right when you're buying singly. But let's go on your your official role. I think your beef supply chain manager there. So uh, just tell us a little bit more what what that involves. Well, really, it's about you know as jobs develop and as as we move forward, it's really becoming from consumption to consumption, really, and that is is really where we are heading with the industry today with so many supply chains coming on board and retailers and processors requesting that vision from beef calves. And, you know, the world has changed in the last 10 years to be able to, for that request to come, if you'd have asked for supply chains 10 years ago, everybody would have looked at you very strangely, and what we, we were talking about, really. Sure, sure. And the supply chain, as you said, from conception to, to fork, really, and, and uh, you know, yeah. it's some, something that's that's now, I wouldn't say it's demanded by the consumer, but it's certainly demanded by the retailer, isn't it, to do that? And, and it you get it, so that, that basically says that you, you, you deal with every part of the industry from, from one end to the other. Yeah, we were talking about that not so long ago, that uh, the job description does not match the role. <laughs> No, 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 that's uh, definitely and anybody in the supply chain manager, wherever you are there, you've got to look at all ends of it. And, and, but let's just look at Genus a little bit more. They're not just a, a semen company, I suppose, nowadays. I mean, they've got, but they'll have to have revenue streams. I mean, they sell semen, but uh, so where do the revenue streams come from within a company like Genus when you're looking at the whole supply chain? Well, basically, we're still... We still sell semen, we sell the benefits of the semen and try and add value to our customers continually um, by selling better products. Um, you know, we've set up a new era genetics where we've actually, you know, identified a massive value within our own population of animals across two breeds, Angus and Blue. Um, and really, it is about creating that value for not only the dairy farmer, but really down that supply chain. And, and, and that there are some amazing opportunities and there's been some amazing, it's been an amazing journey since we've started our New Era uh, product line in 2015, Andy. Um, I would say that we've had some surprises where we've had Bulls that deliver until they are 42 days or, you know, baby calves being sold. And all of a sudden, they just do not grow after they they get sold and they cost a lot of money in the supply chain. And that's been a, the biggest wake-up call to me is really how do these bulls perform? If we turn back the clock... We've always measured for calving ease. We've always measured for gestation length. Our primary customer was the dairy farmer. But now we're very, very focused on what happens to those calves post-leaving the dairy farm. Okay, okay. Uh, the revenue streams for the business is mainly selling the semen um, and working on the integrated chains. But 
you know, it's being able to spread that message across many, many countries and the, the amount of inward missions we've had over the last 18 months since COVID has been in so many different countries um, looking at supply chain models and looking at that. Uh, it's quite amazing. And to be involved in that, moving that forward and distributing semen now to... Well, we trade in 80 countries. There's semen going from the UK to 73 countries. Wow. And, and so that, now I was going to ask that. I mean, I don't know how many bulls you own. I seem to remember seeing a figure somewhere to the top side of 70 bulls and, or so that you've got you know, with, with whether they're live or, or, or semen from that you're marketing. So you're marketing that, that semen from the UK across the world then to all those countries or mainly across the world? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that is just... Anyway, so really we have, a, we have a stud here in the UK, and we're very fortunate to have that stud here in the UK, and that goes to really the European countries and down to India and places like that. Um, well, they wouldn't take beef, but, you know, there's really a lot of, a lot of the countries that we've worked with, um, but been able to also, you know, Push stuff, get stuff from Australia, America, and those different countries is uh, a really a good thing for us as well. Like. And, and it won't be, I imagine, your particular role, but I mean, obviously, since Brexit, all these things started to get harder, getting semen, getting things into Europe, certainly, and getting them around the world in America and every these places. The, the demands are higher from all sorts of angles and welfare point of view and, and political point of view as well. Has that tightened up since, since the Brexit came along? Has it affected your, your trade? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just put a few challenges, you know. It's just put another gate to jump over, really, and, and it, it has been a challenge. But fair play to the vet team at, at within the business. They've really managed that very, very well um, for us. And, you know, I haven't been directly involved in that, but I've just heard the comments and, and, the, and some of the challenges they've had. And... Health challenges is probably still our biggest, you know, so things like Smallenberg, Bluetown, you know, like this latest outbreak now in Europe, you know, those sort of things actually close a lot of doors to places like China for us. You know, there's a massive opportunity just coming up in China with Cemental into China. And, you know, it is an amazing opportunity for any British business that can deliver that. But it does you have got to have a very high health protocol to be able to export to those countries. And, you know, that is, that's our biggest challenge is working with those health protocols and, and making sure that we can tick all the boxes and deliver that in 12 months' time to somebody. Sure, sure. No, I totally understand that. And, you know, that's, it's a challenge for everybody, but even more so for you guys with, with that sort of scoop of a market. And you have your premier collection bulls. I don't quite know. How do your premier collection bulls sort of vary from the rest of them? Are they a select few that are slightly better than the rest, or is it just is it down to, yeah. to different criteria? No, we, we, we should make the market into two. So beef on dairy would be our main, main business. And... Uh, our premier collection bulls would be identified for the pedigree end of the market. Okay. So bulls either we own or bulls that we would market for other breeders. Yeah. And, and they would have uh, full ownership of, of those bulls and we would actually move that semen for them in some 
other countries and and here in the UK, really. So you'd 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 find you'd find a market for these bulls out with the country, and maybe just just to um, take over the marketing rights for those countries, perhaps in, for yourself yeah. for those bulls. Okay, yeah, that, that, that. yeah, and that, and really it, it opens doors. Somebody doesn't have the time maybe to have that. So if you can get your bull into that premier collection catalogue, it allows you to open doors and you don't have to do that marketing yourself. And uh, and that's that's been very successful. You know, we've had some great Limousin bulls. We've had some great Charlie bulls. We've had some great Angus bulls. You know, we've sourced some of those sure. amazing Australian Angus bulls that have done an amazing job here in the UK market. Okay. Um, you know, being able to access some of those things is tremendous to me, as Sure, sure. I mean, I, I say your job as beef supply chain manager maybe now, but you'd be a man, we mentioned earlier on, you'd, you'd be a man that would pick a lot of these bulls, buy a lot of these bulls personally, or choose a lot of these bulls personally. Is, is that your role? Has that been your role? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it still is, really. You know, we, we still do 17 different breeds, Andy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it is a bit like... Uh, some of my American colleagues call it the zoo, the zoo, the place to come for the all the different breeds. You know, well, the world is black in in North America, yes, and yeah, yeah. you know, and they they just you know, when you get Charlies are the black, Cementals are the black. The world is black out there. While they have the different breeds, they still are very focused on that black hide, and and really it is, yeah, but. Yeah, I've had some amazing uh, opportunities to go out and buy some bulls. I've seen some amazing uh, genetics and and visited a lot of very, very interesting farms and a lot of interesting people. And it's been a a great honor to do that, to be honest with you. And uh, I've traveled, I've had the opportunity to travel with that as well. Okay. And, and as well as away from home, of course, at home as well, your Bibles do. I mean, you'll be always on the lookout for yeah. the right one. Is, is that always the case? You always look at like a, every pedigree breeder, or you always, when you see the right bull, even when you don't need them, do you buy them? Or is it just you go out and buy the bulls when you need them? No, I will. We will dip in and uh, buy. I do use predominantly AI, but we, as we've had 50 cows now and, and struggling in the summertime to uh, to get at access to those uh, cows because I'm away so much I can't serve them quite like I I was so really we do buy the odd bull um, I share some bulls with uh, Jeremy Price at Oak Church anyway so we have done that and uh, it's been okay um, we work away we're just starting carving to one of the, the new bulls we purchased 18 months ago so really they're they're, they're working away quite nicely at the minute, so okay. we'll see how good they are when they uh, when we get the calves out the other end, the bulls out the other end. Okay, so we get a we get a we get a man with it with two hats wearing at the same time there. Really, I mean, you're you're, you're buying the bulls to suit you, but obviously, you know, through Genius, you're buying the bulls that suit to suit their market or picking the bulls out of their catalogue. It, yeah. it gets a bit of a of a crossover. Let's talk about a few of the bulls that you got. Limousines, you said uh, Lodge Hydro seems to be a bull that was at. Uh, stars of the future there and uh, yeah. do, you, do you get there and see some of these bulls as young as youngsters and getting there and, and, and get looking at the early doors yeah I love to buy the bulls I love to see bulls more than once to be honest with you um, I like to go around herds and see them as calves identify them 
And then if they excite you enough, you actually go back and have a look at them just weaned or just after weaned. You know, you see how they've come through. And I always say, you know, if the cow family's strong enough, you will, uh, that bull will come through uh, for you later in life. You know, I do, I'll buy an above average bull out of a good family before I will buy a good bull out of an average cow family. Uh, and that's something that I, I like to see a good working cow. Like There you go. Um, that's experience, I re- experience that you've had in, in the trade there, isn't it? To, to, to learn that, I suppose, yeah. by, by being a breeder yourself gives you the kudos to do that. Yeah. Well, it, I don't know about that indeed, but, you know, that's something that I'm, I do like to see the cow family and I do ask to see the cows and, and everything like that. And, you know, sires that have been used in multiple herds as well that you've seen coming through the sale rings and, you know, I try and attend the limousines in Carlisle, the Charlies and Sims in Stirling, so you can see which sires are actually working in multiple herds. That's a, that gives you greater confidence, sure, you know. Sure, and that's, that's and, it, and it's a bit like you, you talked about Hydro and, and I'll bring Hamlet into it. Mm-hmm. You know, those two cars were the stars of the future and stood first and second, mm-hmm. and both from Lodge, and they were really outstanding uh day and I'll never forget, you know, we sold Lodge Hydro as a premier collection bull for that top end show calf pedigree job and Hamlet was purchased to do the beef on dairy job and I'll never forget the day that I bought that for those bulls I just bought MZ's Galileo from Harry and came back to Lodge at Sterling and thought oh, two good bulls and I didn't know what to do and I was and I agreed with Ian Callion that we were going to do Hydro and purchased Hamlet. I never realized how good a bull Hamlet was for us because he did the show calves, he did the pedigrees, he did the beef on dairy. He was short to station length with tremendous calves. And, you know, he was one of our top selling bulls for four years, really, in that in that bracket for the Limousin breed, you know. And, and really it was a... He did have a flagship name um, for us as a stud then. Yeah, yeah, brilliantly so. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to mention the stars of the future because it is in the next couple of weeks and uh, a great show to see yeah. some of these young calves in there. And our listeners out there, if you're not going to stars of the future or haven't been to stars of the future, I think you can catch somebody on the TV as well. But it's a great show to see a lot of these youngsters coming out and a great opportunity for people to bring these young animals out and get them seen. Uh, and, and as you said, the same when they're youngsters. If they're right when they're youngsters, they're going to come on right, aren't they? They are. Well, I was talking to Robert Patterson at Sterling, and uh, he said that they'd got over 400 uh, entries this year for the young stars of the future. So those across all breeds. Right, I, I've got the and, uh, I've got the job of judging the interbreed there. I'm judging the interbreed for the native breeds there as well. So uh, I'll see a few of those. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that must be a great honour for you. Certainly, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. And I mentioned the different breeds of cattle. You mentioned an Angus cows there coming in. One from the United States. I think how different would it would an imported Angus from the states be to the Angus that we can see maybe at Sterling? Yeah. Well. We purchase, we we bring them in about two hundred embryos a year in from our nucleus herd in uh, the US now. Okay. Um, and we're carving them out here at the UK. And phenotypically to look at, they are a lot different, mm-hmm. and they they're not the 
um, tall, upstanding types. They're thicker. They have really got that um, confirmation. And, you know, they have got very big engines on them. And you do see the different type of animal. Mm-hmm. Um, they do cross well onto our dairy cows. And they do, you know, they, they do perform in that in that segment. But I've got to say that we're equally having bloodlines in the UK that are performing as well as them as well. So really, you know, there is there is bloodlines there. You know, we've we've moved on with our Angus and Blue Breed. Um, we've collected a lot of data um, where we've identified, you know, we'll have 1,100 progeny on feed conversion for the blue population and we're just in the process of setting up another 600 uh, unit farm for Angus bulls in uh, in Cheshire so that we're me- measuring feed conversion. Okay, I was going yeah, to go on to that, uh, those couple of, of operations you've got because I've looked them up a little bit. But let's just go on to the figures for a minute. Obviously, everybody nowadays knows about figures. They go to Sterling or whatever sales and they see the figures and the figures are there. Some people buy on figures. Some people don't buy on figures. Some people believe all the figures. Some people think they're not you know, quite what they want. I mean, in your market, when you're selling semen, figures is everything. But, I mean, how do you get figures to... to how do you go beyond the figures and with with more figures, which is sort of what you're saying you're you're trying to do now, especially with the American bulls, there's figures for everything. Yes, so basically, it's my first protocol is to look at the uh, animals' EBVs and really just understand that. Second protocol then is look at the pedigree stack, where's where it is, are there any holes in it that you think that uh, you know that. Bulls haven't been wide enough uh, uh, proofed. Then we try and move on to, you know, you bring those bulls in and see where they compare to the data you collect on their offspring. And, you know, there's as much variance with inbreed as there is across breeds in, in, in that. And, you know, you, you find some surprises and you find some very pleasant surprises where some bulls really do perform um, all the way through their lives. Okay. And and those you said bringing figures bring the figures coming in from the States would they be similar figures? Can you feed those into your same analytics that you can with, with the bulls over here? No, we we're very fortunate that uh, you know, we've we've got a, a large team of geneticists working in the in the company now. So we are actually building our own crossbreeding data set. So really we take the, the pedigree figures of the sires. And then we actually go back to ground zero, basically, and build an index on the first cross of the whole Stein cow. And um, that's very, very interesting. We've learned a lot over the last, since 2015-16, you know, that's when the first calves started to hit the ground from the nucleus. And, you know, it 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 is a different world. And there's some big changes being out there in the last 10 years, and there's more to come. Sure. And and, and things like the ICBF in, in Ireland there, um, uh, they have their sort of set of figures, and they said, yeah, the Americans with their set of figures. Those figures come in. Is there is there a world where these figures could all communicate and talk to them? I and mean, the ICBF, I know they do a lot of work with dairy, with beef on dairy in Ireland and across Europe as well. Is, is there a world where these figures can come together? I would love to see that 
it, it's a bit like the Holstein index that can actually bring that world together. It'd be lovely if we could um, do that. Sadly, I don't think there's much communication and everybody wants to send their own message and that is the biggest, biggest challenge today. And the further down that you actually build your own indexes, you want to protect your IP in in uh, in that really because the last thing you want is somebody else to go and copy what you've just done. But I've, I have got to compliment the ICBF model is a phenomenal engine for collecting a lot of data. You know, when you've got to actually submit calf weights, submit when somebody actually sends cattle, maybe beef on dairy, maybe beef on beef, that you actually have to submit weights when they go through a sale. They, they collect so much data on the way. It, it is phenomenally a strong data set with uh, ICBF. Um, I was out there this summer looking at it and I was quite blown away, to be honest with you, with the, the, the volume of data they have across all breeds. Um, it's a government run or government supported and uh, supported by some of the larger processors in Ireland as well sure. to collect that data and you know it you know, it is tremendous what they've achieved. Sure, certainly. And yeah, there's the millions of, of of data that they've got in there. You're right. Um, let's just move on a little bit. I mean, uh, one question I'm probably going to ask you. Uh, um, I was going to ask you a question about figures there. Uh, you, you've even got a Highlander on your on your books there. But, um, <laughs> how does that go with the, with the figures there? <laughs> <laughs> That's challenging. Uh, you know, to be fair, uh, Andy, it, it, you know... <laughs> Well, our disadvantage in the UK market is the size of our pedigree herds. Yeah. And really, you know, you're taking parent average and then you're actually taking the performance of the animal on that farm. Well, if you've only got three or four calves born in that herd in that calendar years, you haven't got much to compare to. And that would be the biggest challenge that some of the minor breeds have. Yeah. Um and, you know, even compared to America or Australia or whatever, it doesn't matter what the breed, you know. Even when we come back to home here with 50-odd cows, we're small fry when we get to the scale of, of some of those large herds in those countries, really. Sure, sure. and I suppose that's, again, whether things like the ICBF come in because they do across across breeds and across across herds and across yeah, the country. Let's just go on to another a more controversial or equally controversial subject, should I say, would be hybrids and stabilizers. I mean, that's a, yeah, you, you, you've been in America, you'll see how that goes. You, you mentioned earlier on that everything's black now, which means they've, you know, they've infiltrated uh, the black gene into just about every breed that's going. But I mean, the hybrids and the stabilizers and, and and the crossbreeds, if you like, there are something that's absolutely going snowballing across in, in in the USA. Is that something we're seeing coming your way? Yeah, you know, you've got to take your hat off to the stabilizer breeder here in the UK. They've done a, a tremendous job in in maintaining that suckler cow and, and giving a very comprehensive argument for it and, and really I'm a fan of hybrid you know, we've brought some Semangus semen in from the US and developed some of that and, and really the attributes that that brings in performance is quite amazing um, 
We brought it in as a bit of a test pilot. My colleagues within the business will laugh when they hear that you've actually asked me this question because it's something that I would really, really like to get my hands on because when you look at the pig and poultry industry and how hybrids have developed their performance and developed the opportunity for them, it's been quite amazing. Mm. Um, you know, one of our sister companies, PIC, is talks about hybrids in pigs all the time. And that is something that the more you listen to those people and, and the opportunity it brings, it's, it, it's something that I would love to introduce and measure the performance of those animals and be able to actually work there because I do believe that there are good bits in every breed. Let's expose those good bits. Yeah, that's well said. And, and I mean, we've talked to to, to um, uh, Jim Leachman on this program before, and and, and you know, who've obviously started the stabilizers and, and various other people. And they look at us as though we're we're, we're almost backward. I suppose the fact we hang on to the to the traditions of the pedigrees of all our breeds, and they say, well, you know, they're they're working down their crossbreeds. But our guys in the same way, and in the sheep industry too, the same way, will say, well, you know, a crossbreed will give you won't give you the consistency that a, that a that a pedigree breed will give you. But it's a discussion we could have for hours and hours and hours. And if I could stick an American on this call just right now, we'd have this discussion till till it was daylight. <laughs> we would, we we would, we would, you know. And you know, when you travel to places like Orkney, you know, you you see those those all those different, you know, the suckler cows up there. I'll never forget going there fifteen twenty years ago and seeing these brilliant black cows, and I thought they were pure Angus cows but they obviously weren't and they had a mixture of breeds in the back pedigree of those cows 15-20 years ago and, and they were they were outstanding at that time and I just thought you know that was a hybrid yeah and you're right we do a locally have a, based hybrid we have the hybrid you're right you have the hybrid in the females and not in the males you're, that's very true and you, you said with the outfits like that where they've carried on breeding that we've all done it I suppose bred the mothers and the fathers and switched them over and or, bred everything in there so you've got your own a bit like I suppose Logie Derner with with their breeds of sheep and what have you and, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. have developed these breeds let's let's move on a little bit the next subject I suppose I've got is probably the biggest revolution I would imagine in your industry that's all perhaps any industry that's been is uh, sexed semen I mean that's that's changed the way the world works really hasn't it from you know from, in a heartbeat really yeah, and really the success of the sexy men has opened so much of the doors for us as a business to to have a beef program. And I've been very fortunate to have that experience. And, you know, 2015, when, you know, this was launched, it was, you know, it really did have its challenges in the early days. But you've got businesses now that, you know, it's got rid of that unwanted male Holstein bull calf. Mm -hmm. It's literally, you you will not see or see very little of those animals today. So it's allowed people to breed 20, 30% of their best heifers or their second calves to sex semen and beef on the rest. And that has really created an opportunity for us as a business to... To be able to to develop our beef program, and, and as I mentioned before, you know, we really didn't 
we focused on what happened to those beef on dairy calves to the dairy farmers, so focusing on that calving ease and that gestation length. But since then, we've measured what's happening to those calves for the rest of their lives. Sure. And that's been quite a, an opportunity, and it's opening doors, shall we say. My father and my grandfather has been dead a long time. My father too as well, but uh, we bred on the farm. Well, on the farm, we I used to buy Frisian calves and the Holstein calves came in running through a, a bull beef unit and, and we just didn't want the, uh, the Holstein in there, the old Frisians, whatever. Nowadays, of course, those you said those Holstein calves aren't coming into the industry. Instead, we've got a beef bull on, on a dairy cow and the the beef from dairy, because of that sex semen now, the beef from dairy is becoming probably the biggest growing industry within the agricultural sector in the UK, I would guess. Yeah, and, you know, 60% of the beef produced in the UK will be coming from this sector today. And mm-hmm. um, I'm still growing, you know, and, and and growing fast in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the biggest biggest change we're seeing is, is abroad in, like, France, Italy, Holland, Belgium, Germany, you know, those those markets are, are, are catching up. You know, the the UK was very early adopters to sex semen and, and really the other markets are really catching on now to that and, and this beef on dairy sure. strategy, you know, and, and they really do work there. I have, haven't seen the latest AHDB figures, but we keep an eye on them year on year, I know, and I would imagine, I mean, we know... I know in Scotland again, talking to you know some of the breeders, and I had uh, uh, Mary Goodgen on, on on the podcast, the, uh, the the agricultural secretary in or agricultural first minister, whatever she is in, in Scotland, and mm. asking about so the the suckler cows are going off the hill now because they're putting uh, um, trees and various things in in place of the suckler cows for carbon footprint reasons, whatever reasons we won't go into. But so that the suckler beef industry is is declining, but the the beef industry in, in, in general isn't declining because we're seeing the yeah the additional growth coming back in from the from the beef from dairy. Yeah. I would agree there. But what really does stand out for me, there is a place for a for a suckler cow, as long as we can keep it cheap enough. And it has to have a native breed element within that clue, I believe. And we can really, you know, take the cost out of her and, and do that. We've got to remember that we've probably come through one of the most challenging years in the cost of production on beef on dairy, mm-hmm. with milk powder being at the price it was and the cost of production as the place it was. So really suckler calves, uh, you know, this autumn from the beef on beef herds and some of these hill cows have really delivered where they should be valued at um, over the past few months and probably actually leaving more margin per head than some of the calves that have been raised on buckets over the last 12 months. Um, you know, that has been extremely challenging, okay. cost, costly part of the industry. Yeah. Certainly interesting, interesting we see in the change in costs and everything. And you said we have seen certainly a, a hell of a rise in, in, the, in the, the the price of cows. A friend of mine the other day averaged, I think, £1,500 for his cows there at uh, Suckler Cows. And you think, Chris, uh, yeah, that's near double their worth two or three years ago. So it has it has come up. And, and uh, hey, things move and they move again, don't they? And let's just talk about, about your cows a little bit, your your... You mentioned earlier on the you know, Angus calves. You're doing something with the Blues as well, and you've got a connection with ABP with Angus calves there. How, how's that working? What's the connection there? 
Yeah, we've uh, we've worked on a supply chain with uh, with Angus Calves, uh, with Blade, and uh, you know, as a business, that's been a, a tremendous success working with those guys over the last five years, um, and it's growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, I would say that twenty percent of the calves born in the UK today have an end use for them at the end of their lives. They've, they're in the supply chain. So really it is quite a change from where we've been. And dairy farmers are, are really keen to understand where their calves are going. They're demanded by the milk contracts to allow the calves to have a life and a prosperous life. And it, and it does make a... It gives a massive opportunity for the industry to be aligned. Okay, okay, okay. And so ABP did just explain that a little bit more, sort of how, how that system is working. You said you mentioned Blade, of course, with um, big farming outfits. Are they handling the calves or, or taking yeah, they, a certain, they, certain they, amount and putting them back into ABP's to finish, yeah? Yeah, they, they actually contract the calves back in um, at a, a designated price and they forward price that. 12 months out so really they those calves have got before they're actually they've chosen the sires and they've got dedicated sires for that supply chain and actually those calves come back into their own supply chain when they get born nine months later and developed through and taken all the way through to slaughter okay and that's followed obviously with with that all that genetics information goes through your database as well helps you all guys helps you guys out yeah, make the next generation. Sure, sure, sure. And and Genus, as I said, you, you you do various things. You offer advice on on genetics, and you offer advice on welfare as well. I think. I mean, how important is the welfare side of it becoming? How yes, how crucial is it? Should I say the welfare side of things coming now to to every farmer? Yeah, you know there is a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of systems out there today that actually measure performance on farm. You know when cows, how much time they they lie down for and actually cutting and ruminating and and that all affects performance and, you know, that dry cow management period, you know, that post-calving affects the yield of the cow afterwards. You know, there's a lot of support there. You know, we, we uh, run a, a service, an RMS service that really goes out and chalks cows on a daily basis for customers and actually serve those animals. But it's more than that. You know, they, they, there's key performance indicators that actually will measure different things and compare those farms across a number of other farms in the area so people can actually drive their business forward. But really, it is about the welfare of that animal. It's about the performance of that animal. It's about keeping that cow comfort and 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 those everything to make things as stress-free as possible sure sure perfectly perfectly well said and and i was at uh, agriscott i think it was last year now and chatting to the guys with the robot milking and they say the robot now the robot milking for all it's helping with uh, with the manpower is uh, is something increasing on the welfare the fact that the robot will take so many measurements and various things off the cow when they come in to milk themselves yeah, amazing. You know, you know, cow health is a big part of those robots. I was on the farm by Carlisle not so long ago, and they were showing me stuff that 
were flagging up some health problems on individual animals days before it actually shows itself physically for it to be seen. And, and I thought that was amazing. You know, technology at that level is becoming an amazing tool for farms to be able to manage their cattle in a professional way and react before it becomes an issue or it becomes a vet visit. You know, really things are, are changing at an alarming pace on some of our dairy farms across the country. And, um, you know, robots will will become, you know, it, it is a saviour to a lot of businesses with labour challenges. And I see that family farm where it actually goes. There was a group of farmers in from Northern Ireland and over 50% of those guys had robots milking uh, at home. And it just allowed them to have the flexibility without, you know, father and son outfits. Yep. Really with maybe one man or half a man. And, you know, one father and son actually had got away um, and that was the first time they'd gone away together. Yeah. And, you know, that was, I thought that was a quite a big statement, really, that they'd managed to get away together. Sure. I mean, they do say, the people that I've spoke to, they say, well, it doesn't necessarily replace a man. It gives that man who's on the farm chance to do something else, which I suppose is, is another thing. But as you said, the smaller family farm, it does. Uh, yeah, it does keep, give people the, the time away. And, uh, and I'm, I'm always interested, I suppose, in the technology to go on. You mentioned earlier on, just moving on a little bit, your neurogenetics uh, um, business or something slightly different, I suppose. Uh, um, you've got that trademark there. So just just just, just reiterate what uh, what you're it's it's exactly like any sort of a prefix so really new era genetics was developed 2016-17 and really it was something that we wanted to pin our breeding program on and give it an identity across the two breeds that we've identified that we've done the nucleus breeding on and that is our Angus and our Blue population those have been our most popular breeds um, especially in Europe and, and, you know, our part of the world. And really that was what we were trying to do then is get, get a recognition, create a brand around that. And it is really that, those, that nucleus of animals that, are, that is serving the industry, the dairy industry with, with those genetics. Okay, that clarifies that. We, we've uh, we've had a good chat on here this evening. Just just going to sum up a little bit for me. What are I mean genetic efficiency? You, you mentioned what are the keys to genetic efficiency? Is, is there any simplification that you can give us here? That uh, just something that you preach? Yeah, well, I think some of the uh, the projects that I've been involved in over the last um, three or four years in in the business, we've started our momentum project with MetaQuality. So we work with MetaQuality in sourcing cars from 47 different farms um, in that, in the Cheshire, uh, down all the way to Devon, uh, really they collect, they have two collection centres. Um, we put all the young bull semen into those um, 47 farms and we buy the first 40 cars from or MetaQuality buy those 40 cards from those uh, sires, those individual sires that go through every month. 
and then we take those animals through into feed efficiency um, and we measure their performance and and amazingly in the blue and angus population we know today there is a 30 percent difference in feed efficiency in our population that we've taken you know that we've that we've collected data on wow. 30 percent that's, that's uh, and that's huge that's huge um you know we've had uh, we've we've been working on that for the last i think the first unit went in in 2018 19 and then we've uh, just putting the the fourth unit in at the minute to measure that and that's a collaboration between MediQuality ourselves. Um, you know, I've, I've been very, very fortunate to come into the business or being part of the business when we've seen this swing to beef on dairy. We've seen the appetite within the business to invest in validating those genetics. Um, I'm very fortunate, you know, that we've got farms, you know, when you actually think about creating 400 embryos for the blue population a year, you know, creating 200 Angus embryos to put in. So really carving the best part of 300 animals within our own business on our own farms, being involved with those people on those farms, then taking those animals through to feed efficiency, then collecting the semen with our uh, studded within making sure that we are actually taking bulls that can, A, number one, make semen, but actually bulls that deliver high fertility and then measure their performance. Even though that we've selected them for calving ease, we still measure them for calving ease because still our primary customer is the dairy farm. And then we take the next 40 cows from each one of those bulls through feed efficiency. Um, and we've, I suppose that's been an exciting time for me and being involved in that has been quite amazing. Sure. No, but the one, the, the one thing that we've been involved with over the last four years is we've been working with Dr. Rainer Rowe, Rowe from SUSC, and um, we've done a lot of trials with rumen biome and connecting that with methane emissions. Okay and feed conversion, and there is some really, really exciting developments going to be coming out over the next uh, two years. And we're just in the middle of a massive project with Raina for validating. uh, We've identified four high methane emission bulls, Mm -hmm. and four bulls that have got low methane emission. And really, we're validating, we're purchasing calves at the minute, and we're going to take those animals through the room biome chambers of Edinburgh. And it is quite amazing what we learn. That's that's brilliant. I mean, I've heard, I think one or two people have mentioned on here about that there were were, um, studies being done on methane emissions, but it sounds like you guys have taken it to a pretty high level then. And and brilliant that that is, because it's it's the way forward everybody nowadays needs to to be um, conscious of their carbon footprint, and obviously those things come into play in that. And and, and Gina's probably are 
would I say the longest standing maybe semen company in, in the UK, if not worldwide and, and well recognized, but there are quite a few of you, aren't there? I mean, there's, there's, there's always been semen companies. I don't get too much involved. I remember walking around the shows going years ago and there'd be the semen alley where there'd be five or six or seven of you out there. And obviously we, you know, we've chatted to, to, to a few of the other ones on this, on the cogent and such like on this. Where, where does genus sit nowadays? Are you top of the tree in that industry? Are you, are you up there at the top? No, I don't think we're quite at the top globally, but yes, we're in the top 10. Like a lot of us, um, you know, there is this there. I I say competition is very healthy. It always keeps you, um, you know, if if you're number one, people will always try and knock you off the top and and there will be mergers that will soon put you down, down. and yes, there's rationalisation of the of the industry going to happen. There's no doubt about that. And uh, moving forward, you know that will have to happen. Um, but really, I would say, you know, there's other companies doing some amazing things as well, and uh, you've got to respect that, and uh, you've got to really, you know, bring that to bring a message to market and uh, be strong with a, a really compelling argument. Sure, sure. No, brilliant. It certainly sounds like you're doing all of that. And as you said, with the trials of things that you're doing, and as I said, it's a little bit more of a added value than just selling semen these days with the company, but all you know, the, the, the stuff that you're underpinning it with, it, uh, it certainly sounds like uh, the industry has definitely uh, got a lot more advantage now than it has from you guys and, and from all of you guys, really, than it, than it had, as you said, 10 years ago and just so. Well, it's it's been absolutely superb to, to talk to you. I will have opened my eyes to a few things, and I've been looking, trying to catch you for a while. There, you're busy. We're always busy, but uh, it's late at night here just now. They were having a chat. I'll let you get to let you get into bed there. But we might see you uh, at uh, some of the sales later on. Maybe at the stars of the future, if you're there, we'll have a, have a yarn and have a chat there. Okay, thanks, Andy. Well, thanks for thanks for your time. Thanks very much for your time as well. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And uh, as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harborough, for their continued support of this podcast. And Harborough, of course, are suppliers and manufacturers of quality livestock nutrition and nutritional advice right across the board there in the livestock industry, not just in the UK, but in a lot of countries around the world. Though, So uh, look up Harborough and see how they can help you with your livestock nutritional requirements. So uh, thanks again to Harborough and uh, please find them on the internet or, or on social media. And while you're on social media, don't forget to join our Top Lines and Tails Facebook community there where you'll find other information to back up this and previous episodes and please um, hit the follow button wherever you whatever platform you listen to your top lines and tales podcast on there please just hit the button to follow or subscribe just uh, it just helps us get a little bit more presence there uh, on the internet thanks very much